Um, why do you believe in angels? How did you find out about them? Yeah, the Bible. And then some through personal experience, I'm sure. I believe in angels for the same reasons you just so well stated. Uh, they're, they're fantastic, aren't they? Angels. They're different than us. I suppose one could, could say maybe there are angels even in our midst. I don't, I don't know this. But generally, angels are different creatures, are they not, than, uh, th than, than we are. They're quite unique, fantastic. Um, I respect angels for who they are and for what they do, as, as, as I'm sure you do. And why not? They're, they're categorically different than we are. They're quite fascinating. We, we read about angels in the Bible. So to respect angels is one thing. To worship them is different. Don't you agree? Those are two categorically different things, you see, to worship angels. Um, at the time of the book of Hebrews, um, many went beyond respect for angels. Many, sadly, even believers uh, bowed before angels, really worshiped them. And in our day, we see a, uh, an interesting preoccupation with angels as well, don't we? Spirit beings. Sometimes people speak of spiritual mediums, uh, channel channelers, and just a lot of un unusual. Do you know, some people, some people carry a little figurine of an angel. I'm not criticizing anybody. Don't misunderstand. But sometimes people attach a little too much to it. Sometimes it takes on a little more than just a symbol. It takes on sort of a reality. You know, you may feel uncomfortable without it in your pocket. You're going to have a bad day if you don't take your little symbol. Oh, you've gone a little too far. Uh, you could go to a bookstore and uh, be quite overwhelmed. I did an internet search just, just for kicks, just to see the books out on angels. Oh, my goodness. There's a proliferation of them. Uh, I can't imagine they're all bad, but many are. I, I just want to draw your attention to the end. You know this. In this day, there's a preoccupation with, with angels, and, and it's not new. There, there was in, at the, in the day when Hebrews was written, again, by whom we do not know, uh, but there was a preoccupation with angels. And what was happening, even amongst believers, remember this, this book, this letter, Hebrews is written to, to believers primarily Jewish believers. And the writer was quite concerned that these new Jewish believers were drifting back into the old ways, traditions, and so, you know what they were doing? They were so fascinated uh, in seeking the voice of angels that they were getting distracted from listening to the voice of their Savior. It got to be a problem. They were spending, they were prone to spend much more attention seeking angels than they were seeking the Lord who had redeemed them. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this letter of better. Last week we spoke about uh, how in the letter of better it was pointed out Jesus is better than the prophets. And tonight, I think I, you, you'll see this pretty strong case. The writer, in writing the letter of better, wants us to see that Jesus is not only better than the prophets, he is better than the angels. And so the text begins here. We're in chapter 1 now, verse 4, in this letter of better. Uh, Hebrews 1, verse 4, look, it says, having 
become, it's speaking of this Jesus, the Lord Jesus, having become as much better than the angels. Do you know there was a temptation in the early church at this time of the writing of Hebrews to think of this Jesus as a high angel? Uh, in the same category of other angels who were sent on errands by Almighty God, an agent of God's doing. Oh, he was different than other angels. They referred to him as a high angel. He was in the same class as angels. They thought believers in the first century, many of them had this, this mistaken idea. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to remind these. They're believers. They're new believers. He wants to remind them that Jesus, oh, no, he's far more. He's far better. Don't refer to him. There's evidence that some believers in the first century actually referred to Jesus by the name angel. And they thought they were honoring him and flattering him, but that's not true because the text says, oh no, he has inherited a more excellent name than they, than the angels. A more, well, what name? Verse 5 tells us, look, for to which of the angels did he, God, did he ever say, you are my son. Don't think of the Lord Jesus as a, a high angel. If you use the adjective high, sometimes you think you're, you're giving him due respect. Oh, no, no, no. He's a son. There's a family relationship we are to become acquainted with. As a son, uh, in the presence of the Father, Father God, there is a... Um, there's a harmony, harmony, there's a consistency in their essential nature. There's a, um, a special intimacy and access uh, possessed and enjoyed by none other than the Son. This is his name. Jesus is the Son of God. He's no angel, high or low, highest, whatever. Even if you say highest angel, you're missing the point. Here is his name. For to which of the angels does God the Father say, you are my Son? And to prove the superiority of the son, that he's far better than any other pretender to the throne, surely far better than any angel. The writer of Hebrews now invokes seven passages from the Old Testament. Most are from the Psalms, and he applies them to this very special Lord Jesus. Here's the first. It's in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. That's where it comes from. It says, today. I have begotten you. That's from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The writer of Hebrews now is bringing it forth from the Psalms and is attaching it to the Lord Jesus. By the way, that's how you read the Old Testament. Look for Jesus. He's in all of the pages of the Bible. It is God's word about the incarnate word, his son. Old and New Testament. Old Testament looks to his coming. New Testament looks back back. He's the centerpiece of the Bible. He's the key to interpreting the Bible correctly. And so uh, this writer understood that and applies Psalm 2 verse 7 to the Lord. And it says, today I have begotten you. The Father is saying, I have begotten you. Oh, but don't make a mistake here. It sounds like it means birth in the sense in which we think of it. No, that's not what it means. In Psalm 2, it's used with reference to a king already born 
already into existence, a king coming into his exalted position as king. And so the writer of this letter of better Hebrews is now applying it to the Lord Jesus and saying that the idea is that the father has begotten the son to his position of kingly deity. See, the son always was. He's eternal. He's God. So don't misunderstand the word begotten here. It just means I birthed in you the authority for you to be king of kings and lord of lords. Now, at what point did this happen? You don't have to buy this. Uh, I, I, I just want to offer this. I think it happened at, uh, at the Lord's resurrection. And I think I'm in good company because listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. He said, and we preach to you good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written, and now Paul too invokes the second psalm. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So it seems to me Paul is pinpointing the time of the Lord being begotten as king at the moment of his resurrection. Why? From eternity past, Jesus was. He has no beginning nor any end. He is deity. He is God. And he laid aside in a way I don't fully understand. He laid aside his deity and masked it with humanity. He became the God-man. He humbled himself by becoming one of us so as to suffer and die for all of us. And then at a certain point, he was raised up from death so as to resume his pre-incarnate position of glory as the eternally pre-existent Son of God. At the resurrection, as if the Father vindicated his humanity and said, this is my only begotten Son with whom I am well pleased. I have begotten him to the highest position at my right hand. He's king above all kings, though you people mistreated him, crucified him, spat upon him, subjected him to great humiliation. I have raised him up. Proof of it all, of his vindication, the resurrection from death. Now he's seated at the right hand, restored to the measure of glory, uh, which was his prior to the time when he became enfleshed. And the text goes on to say, and again, I'll be a father to him. He'll be a son to me. That is never said anywhere in the Bible of an angel. It is said uniquely of the Lord Jesus. You see, this Jesus is better than the angels. He has a special relationship as son with the father. In fact, look what the father did. Verse 6 and when he again brings the firstborn into the world. Now we have to pause here. This is the father giving special attention to this firstborn, this Jesus, his son. Uh, some religious groups, um, I think most prominently the Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now I'm allowed to say what I'm about to say. Don't, don't hate me. I'm only stating what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. They would like for you to know what they believe, right? 
So I'm not being unduly critical. I just want to tell you, and you could check this out, with a measure of objectivity, what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And then you could determine whether it fits your understanding of Scripture or not. That's up to you. So here's what Jehovah's Witnesses say based on this verse, many others, but this verse in particular. See the use of the term firstborn? It's used with reference to Jesus. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses say he's the firstborn of God's creatures. Now look, if he's the firstborn of God's creatures, he is a creation of God. And if so, he is not eternal. And if he is not eternal, <clears throat> he is not God. You got it. So that's the thinking of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So if that fits you, okay. And if you feel okay about it, let's talk. <laughs> you, you, you really shouldn't feel okay about that. You should feel okay about friendship with all people, including Jehovah's Witnesses, for sure. Because we want all people to know the love of the Lord Jesus. We're not permitted the luxury of hate. That's, that's not our deal. So we want to extend the love of the Lord to all people. On the other hand, um, you want to be careful about embracing along with a person that person's position if that person's position doesn't square with the scriptures. So first of all, let me tell you, the term firstborn, now I've got to get into my Jewish thing here a little bit. Please permit me. I don't do this too often. But, but we can get a little understanding. Remember, this book is called Hebrews, right? So it's not written to Irish people primarily. It, 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 it's, it, it doesn't say the book of Italians, right? I'm not saying it doesn't apply. Don't misunderstand. I'm just saying the original recipients were Hebrews. So we just got to enter into their culture. In Jewish culture, the term firstborn means someone in the family who is treated with special dignity and privilege. This is usually someone who will inherit the estate of the dad. Now, we make a mistake as Westerners because when we hear the term firstborn, we think it means a chronological term, first to be born in time in a family. But that's not the Hebrew concept of firstborn. Typically, the oldest son would take the lead, receive a double portion of the dad's inheritance and all the rest, typically, but not always. Sometimes it wasn't the son born first into a family who was, on whom was bestowed the privilege of firstborn. That's not always the case in Hebrew thinking. And so what it means is someone in the family designated by the father to be specially designated as a special heir with special privilege and to whom special respect is due. And the writer of Hebrews extracts from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, this particular concept and applies it to the Lord Jesus and says simply, he is the one from the point of view of the Father, who is designated as being a special one and given the supreme position over all creation. Want some proof? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. If you have a, a, a friend who's a Jehovah's Witness, this is a good passage for you to discuss over some coffee. Colossians chapter 1, 15 and on. He, 
the Lord Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, there's the term again, of all creation. For by him all things were created. He's not a creature. You see, by him all things were created. That makes him not a creature. That makes him the creator. You see the difference? By him all things were created. Where? Both in the heavens and on the earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If he is before all things, that means he has no beginning or any end. That means before the things we call the world, the cosmos, came into existence, he was. That's why we refer to him as the great I am. It's a statement of being, not I will be, not I used to be. I am. When? Always. I am always. I am before you was. I am. <laughs> After you is. I still am. I am. You see what I mean? He's separate. Not only is the agent in creation, he holds it all together, and all things created are for his glory. Oh, no. He's not the first creature. He's the creator of all things. In fact, he stands apart from all things created. By him, all things were created. So his superior rank, you know what it compels us to do? Worship him. His superior rank. You don't worship an inferior, do you? You don't worship an, an equal. You worship him because of his superior. Not only are we compelled to give him worship, you know who else is? The angels. So it says here in the text, he says, the Father says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now let's give angels some credit. <laughs> if you're on the verge of being a little too focused on your angel, even maybe crossing the line and even worshiping your angel, I think your angel would tell you, what are you doing? I, angels don't want you to worship them. How do I know that? They themselves are worshiping the Most High God. Angels are uncomfortable with uh, one who is preoccupied with his or her so-called guardian angel. What about guardian Jesus who protects us from the throes of life and the penalty of sin. Be careful here. You see, this is written to believers, and I'm certain there are believers here today who are perhaps a little out of balance with regard to, 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 to other spirit beings who, who maybe you think are your pals and your buddies. Maybe they are. There are plenty of good angels. But why do you want to bow before them when the angels themselves give them some credit? They know who to worship. So should we. So it says in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Do you see that? Many religious groups say Jesus has, is a very virtuous one, has much to offer. But you people make the mistake of referring to him as God. No, no, no. We people aren't making it. God the Father returned. Listen to me. 
Whatever God the Father says about a person or thing is what that person or thing is. If God the Father refers to the Son as God, to me that settles it. So for me to think less of the Son than the Father just said is for me to compete with the Father. Are you kidding? He's God. He's not an emanation from God and a lesser God, as is taught in many aberrant religious groups. Oh, no. Your throne, oh, God. He's declared to be God by God. The fa Listen, angels minister before the throne, but they don't sit on the throne. <laughs> but Jesus does. He sits on the throne, which, by the way, look at the next phrase, is forever and ever. So are you a little concerned about what's going on today? Just in general? It's unbelievable. Watching the news is getting to be a hazardous activity. Ignorance is really getting to be about as much bliss as we can lay hold of this side of heaven. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the news is unbelievable. And generally, it's an accurate reflection of how bad things have gotten. What happened to government worldwide? Ordained by God to protect the citizenry and serve the people. What has happened? The government of Syria is killing its citizenry. <laughs> It's not supposed to be the way it is, is it? Look at the government of North Korea. Are you kidding me? One guy passes on, an egomaniacal dictator. Now his son, I'm sure he's qualified, uh, holds the reins. It's an unbelievably impoverished country, but the government officials are doing pretty good. What in the world? What about the guy in Venezuela? What did we ever do to him? Are you kidding me? It's, it's unbelievable. Should we talk about our situation? Let's move on. <laughs> but I love this. Listen to me. Every human Government is teetering on the brink of collapse. Do you know that? Every human, at a rapid, accelerated pace, every you. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Look no further for a savior than the savior who has saved you. Hebrews is for us with a proneness to drift. Don't put your hope in any pretender to the throne. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus. He's far better than the prophets. He's far better than the angels. And by the way, his government is not teetering and on the brink. In fact, it is forever and ever. And not only that, look what distinguishes his rule and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom, the righteous scepter. 
You know what that means? His rule is right. Oh, wouldn't it be great just to have governmental leaders who would simply govern rightly? You know, I'm not looking for the brightest guy in the world, the most good-looking guy in the world, the most athletic, whatever. He didn't even have to be Jewish. I don't care. <laughs> How about governing with principle of rightness? How about don't do what's wrong? Righteousness. You know, wouldn't it be great to be a, a, a citizen of a ruler who... Uh, who did not engage in double speak. I, why, why can't politicians answer the question? I, come on. Come on. It is unbelievable. It's quite impressive how they are able not to. 20 minutes later, they're still going. Yes or no, that's all. Wouldn't it be great to be under, to be seated around the throne of a governmental leader who did not engage in doublespeak? What about one who made no promises? He either could not or would not keep. I'm not faulting anyone running for political office for not being able to fix everything we all have broken. I'm faulting them for trying to persuade us they can. That's lying. Promises one cannot or will not keep. Wouldn't it be great to be in the, under the governance of one who didn't bow to any special interest group? who operated by what's right, what's true, not what would make him electable. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be something to be ruled by one who was not tempted, not susceptible to bribes, deals, and closed door rooms? Wouldn't that be good? Can I tell you something? That one doesn't exist in human fashion. I suppose we should cease being quite as surprised, shocked, and distressed by world governance. We should expect it to be what it is. But this Lord Jesus, he will rule, first of all, forever and ever, and what will characterize it is a scepter of righteousness, meaning in his kingdom, all subjects of the king will benefit. Everyone will be taken care of. And everything he does will be right. He's worthy of worship. Forget about angels. <laughs> Are you kidding me? What about this one? Now these words come from the next in verse 9, Psalm 45. It says, you've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. It's an extraction from Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. And the context there was of a royal wedding. Have you been to a wedding? We just spoke of Micah's 
little while ago. These, those are celebrations, weddings. Really, really wonderful events. Can you imagine the celebratory atmosphere when the son, who always existed in a close bond with the father, um, came here to be one of us and for a spell was separated from the father because he took upon him our sin, which caused a separation. Remember he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he rose up from it all and ascended back home. He went back home. Can you imagine the joy? He's not the same. We sent him back to the father with scars and bruises. You know that? We should be punished for it, shouldn't we? Yeah, but the wrath of God do us was poured out on his son. Can you imagine the joy when the son rose up from it all? First the humiliation, now the exaltation. He won victory over the last enemy, death, rising up from death as the first fruits of many others. To Can you imagine when he went home to the father, the, 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 the almost like the kind, of, the kind of wedding, the weddedness, the restored weddedness. Can you imagine the joy of it all? Later in Hebrews, we'll read, this Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. Why, why, why am I trying to expand this? That's not the measure of joy any angel is in on. <laughs> That's the measure of gladness, the oil of gladness between father and son. I'm telling you, uh, this Jesus is different than anyone, anything else. He is to be, he is to be, angels can't share in that, in that weddedness between father and son. Jesus, the Lord, is far better. Look at this. Verse 10 and on. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all will become, look at this, like an old garment. Everything created will become like an old garment, and like a mantle, you will roll you, the Lord Jesus, will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. Everything created will be changed like an old garment but you are the same and your years will not come to an end that's from psalm 102 that's the longest quotation from the old testament here in hebrews look what it says one day this marvelous savior this lord jesus one day he will do with the old creation which you and i experience now and he will bring in an entirely new one. It's not going to be brought in by maniacal environmentalists. Come on. Who are worshiping Mother Earth. Because Father God, through the agency of his son, is going to pick up Mother Earth and cast it aside like a rag, that's what it says, and he's going to, listen to me, it's not a different kind of light bulb that's going to save the planet. You know, I just heard, oh my goodness, <laughs> Department of Energy Secretary, Secretary Chu, I think his name is, oh my goodness, I don't know why his name is Chu, it's, he's hard to swallow, let me tell you. I mean, he, he made a proposal of these new light bulbs that's going to make us go green. The cost, 
$50 per light bulb. How many light bulbs do you have in your house? Let's say 20, because it's easy math. How much is 20 times 50? Thanks for saving us, Mr. Chu. These are the propo- but, but Jesus, a creator of it all, authority figure, is going to wrap it all up. You know why? The, you know, the problem in the environment is, is you. Okay, me too. We corrupted it by sin. That's why the Bible says the anxious longing of, of it all, of the environment, is for the revealing of the sons of God. When we're extracted from this corrupt environment by the grace of God, it'll be rolled up like an old rag and tossed aside. That's the hope. He's the hope. Don't you see? He's the hope uh, 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 of it all. And I love the contrast here in verse 12 between the very changeable nature of everything that is in contrast to the unchangeable nature of the one who has no beginning nor end. Everything is changeable. Doesn't your head spin is it just me? My head is spinning. Every day you wake up to something new. It's just unbelievable what's... They have a new iPad out. Did you know that? I can't even turn on the old one. <laughs> now there's a new one. It's just crazy. You got new this, new that. Crazy stuff. Everything's changing. That's the absolute, isn't it? Change is the absolute. But ever. But not the immutable Jesus who is the same yesterday, today. You know why I'm and forever. I'm saying this because, look, I'm looking for a rock, aren't you? I'm looking for some sense of settledness and stability in a really chaotic world. Look no further. The writer of Hebrews says, Stuart, you're saved. What are you looking? There is no better rock. Jesus is the rock. The letter of better is for us. You see what I mean? Don't look around. Look to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Did we sing that last week? Oh, you're acting like we did because you don't want to do it again. (laughs) Okay, fine. It's a great song. Sing it sometime. Look, the Father distinguishes the Son from angels, verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? That's from Psalm 110, verse 1, applied to the Lord Jesus. Look, we live in a time when the son's enemies have not yet been made a footstool for his feet. It's terrible what they say of the Lord Jesus, what people say of him. Oh, my goodness. It's blasphemy. Don't dare cast dispersions on the Quran. Don't write a cartoon about Muhammad, but you can, deg- you can blaspheme the rock, the Lord Jesus. Terrible, terrible. What a long-suffering God he is, isn't he? Unbelievable, the things that are said uh, of him. Uh, terrible, terrible things. And So we don't see his enemies made as a footstool under his feet yet, but we will. Let me tell you something. It's a Bible promise. Jesus is bringing all of the events of history to a God-honoring grand conclusion. It's pretty bad. It's going to get worse, and then the best will come. He is a far better object of worship, you see, than even angels, who, though very wonderful, are far beneath the sun. We close with verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. What are angels? Wonderful emissaries of God. They're given orders by Almighty God which they carry out. And do you want to know what their primary duty is? 
to care for us. Right there. To render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. As powerful and magnificent as angels are, they can't do a thing for you if you are unsaved. Angels did not. Angels cannot bring sinful man into a relationship, a personal relationship with holy God. But the Lord Jesus can. The Lord Jesus did. The Lord wills to even tonight. Only one can bring you and I into a personal relationship with a holy God. God the Son, the Lord Jesus. In gaining Christ, I speak to my fellow Christians here now, in gaining Christ, and we have, we have gained the one who is superior to angels. We can do without angels, but we cannot do without Jesus, who is the Savior. And here is something quite amazing. He doesn't want to do without you. <laughs> he does not want to do without you. So even though angels are attractive and wonderful and fantastic and interesting, no angel loves you as much as Jesus, the living Savior, loves you. I pray for me. Pray it for you. Oh, God, let me not drift away from the joy of my salvation. Let me not get distracted by the throes of this life. Let me not get distracted from you. Let me sit at your feet. Let me worship you <laughs> with joy as the one high and lifted up. It's one-stop shopping, folks. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus for forgiveness of sin and all the rest. Run to Jesus for hope and joy and peace. I refuse to let the world situation extinguish the spirit of Jesus implanted in me. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't walk around as those who have no hope. Don't do it. Don't drift away from what it is to be in the embrace of the Lord Jesus, the Most High God. Don't drift away from what He has done and from what He will do. Praise Him. Worship Him. Don't grow cold. Don't get bored with the things that please Him. Prayer. Service. Obedience to His Word. Missions. Church. He's the head of the church. Some are staying away from church today. What? It's cold out there. Come in. Let's warm up in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And then let's go out there and let someone warm up next to us. Say, oh God, I've drifted. Life has gotten so complicated. No, no, no. Say, oh God, restore to me the simplicity and purity of devotion to you. You are far better than the prophets. You are far better than the angels. Would you bow with me for a second? Let's just think of who he is and how much better. Let me, just, let me just reflect out loud while you bow your heads about the merits of the Lord Jesus. You know who he is? He is the Alpha 
and omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Son of God. What's more, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's everything. He's Messiah, Jehovah. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Son of Man. He's the seed of Abraham. He's the second person of the Trinity. This Jesus is Son of God, King of Kings. This Jesus, He is Lord of everything. Let it sink in.